Trapcast Express. Tratcast Express, it's Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. As promised in the last episode, today we continue our critical analysis of Taylor Marshall's and Matt Gasper's video presentation, Can Pope Francis Ban the Latin Mass?, which was broadcast on January 27th. You can find part one of our critique in Tratcast Express 169, published on February 7th. Probably the key takeaway from that episode is that Matt Gaspers has provided a few Catholic quotes that could be read as saying that a pope does not have the authority to abolish the traditional Roman rite of Mass, but there are two ways to understand such a lack of authority, and Gaspers has not proven that the way he understands it is the correct way. Let me explain. To say that a pope cannot abolish the traditional Roman rite of Mass could be understood in the sense that if he does issue a decree abolishing it, that decree is automatically null, void, and worthless, and the cardinals, bishops, priests, and all the faithful are morally required to put it through the shredder, so to speak, and that's that. That is Gasper's position, and in general, the position of the recognize and resist traditionalists. The other way to understand that a pope cannot abolish the traditional Roman rite of mass is to say that because he cannot do it, no true pope ever will publish legislation abolishing the traditional mass. And only that position really makes sense because it alone harmonizes with the promised divine assistance to the papal office. The Gaspers position does not involve any protection of the papacy in that regard, and basically just means that the inferiors have to make sure that the Pope won't get away with legislating things he's not supposed to legislate. And that would mean that the papacy is not distinguishable in that respect from any merely human institution. Keeping all that in mind, we can now continue with the next soundbite from that video, beginning at the 28 minute and 2 second mark. This is Matt Gaspers speaking to Taylor Marshall. The other quote I want to share with you is from Pope Pius IX. In his profession of faith, January 6th, 1870, at the beginning of Vatican I, because this is the Pope who defined papal primacy and infallibility. So people often, the hyper-papalists often point to him as saying, well, look, uh, you know, he has supreme, he defined the Pope as supreme jurisdiction and everything. So obviously he can change whatever he wants, right? No, wrong, very wrong. This is what Pius IX said, January 6th, 1870. He's basically quoting from the Tridentine Profession of Faith of Pius IV, as you'll hear. Apostolic and ecclesiastical traditions and all other observances and constitutions of that same Catholic Church I most firmly accept and embrace. I profess also that there are seven sacraments of the new law, truly and properly so called, instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ and necessary for salvation. And here he says what Pius IV did. I likewise receive and accept the rights of the Catholic Church 
which have been received and approved in the solemn administration of all the aforesaid sacraments. So again, you note this very well, everyone listening. The same pontiff who defined papal infallibility and reaffirmed, quote, the full and supreme power of jurisdiction over the whole church in Pastor Eternus, uh, not only in matters that pertain to faith and morals, but also those that pertain to the discipline and government of the church, the same pope who did that also clearly recognized, as I just read to you, that he himself was bound to, quote, firmly accept and embrace not only apostolic and ecclesiastical traditions, including the rights of the Catholic, the received and approved rights of the church, but also all other observances and constitutions of the church. Wow. So the very Pope who defined papal primacy and infallibility is recognizing, I'm not an absolute monarch whose will is the law. I am underneath these other things. Okay, fine. For the sake of argument, let's say that this proves that the Pope cannot abolish the traditional Roman rite of Mass. But then it means precisely that, that he cannot do it. Not that he can, and then everybody has to tell him to go fly a kite. See, ironically, it is actually Matt Gaspers who believes that the Pope can abolish the traditional Mass, He's just not allowed to, and so then it doesn't count. Now, I'm not conceding that what Gaspers just quoted there from Pope Pius IX necessarily means or implies that no pope can validly abolish the traditional Roman rite of Mass and replace it with another perfectly orthodox and sacred rite. After all, the words speak of the rights of the Catholic Church which have been received and approved in the solemn administration of all the sacraments. Well, obviously, if the Pope revokes the approval for a particular rite, then it is no longer a rite that has been received and approved. Furthermore, as far as embracing and accepting all apostolic and ecclesiastical traditions— Surely that requires, or at least admits of, interpretation. For example, Holy Communion used to be given to infants, and I believe in the Eastern Churches that is still done. However, in the Latin Church, that was discontinued at some point. In his 1910 decree, Qua Singulari, Pope St. Pius X writes about this as follows, quote, this, as was prescribed in almost all ancient ritual books, was done at baptism until the 13th century, and this custom prevailed in some places even later. It is still found in the Greek and Oriental churches, but to remove the danger that infants might eject the consecrated host, the custom obtained from the beginning of administering the Eucharist to them under the species of wine only. Infants, however, not only at the time of baptism, but also frequently thereafter, were admitted to the sacred repast. In some churches, it was the custom to give the Eucharist to the children immediately after the clergy. In others, the small fragments which remained after the communion of the adults were given to the children. This practice later died out in the Latin church, and children were not permitted to approach the holy table until they had come to the use of reason 
and had some knowledge of this august sacrament. This new practice, note well, new practice, already accepted by certain local councils, was solemnly confirmed by the Fourth Council of the Lateran in 1215. Unquote. So, yeah, I think all this is a bit more complicated and nuanced than Gaspers thinks. The bottom line is this. The papacy is of divine institution, and God has promised his assistance not merely of infallibility for ex-cathedra pronouncements, but of safe guidance for the church generally, such that people can safely entrust themselves like little children to Holy Mother Church, guided by Christ's very own vicar. It is, then, for the Pope to determine, legislate, and judge concerning all these things. After all, Christ's words, what you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, were to St. Peter, and not to YouTubers from Texas or journalists from Colorado. All right, next we'll see how Gaspers deals with the following words from Pope Pius XII, from the encyclical Mediator Dei, paragraph 58, quote, It follows from this that the sovereign pontiff alone enjoys the right to recognize and establish any practice touching the worship of God, to introduce and approve new rites, as also to modify those he judges to require modification. Unquote. Again, that's Pope Pius XII encyclical Mediator Dei. Gaspers says this. Pius XII did not say that the ecclesiastical hierarchy or even the Pope himself has the right to abolish the received and approved rites of the Catholic Church. He said that the sovereign pontiff alone enjoys the right to recognize and establish any practice touching the worship of God, to guard and preserve what he's received, to introduce and approve new rites, which doesn't necessarily mean an entirely new liturgical rite for the whole mass. In the Council of Trent, that word rite referred to things like mystical blessings, candles, incense, lesser things. Okay, so in other words, it's not clear what Pius Twelfth meant, but then it doesn't exclude the idea of a whole new rite of Mass either. Mr. Gaspers, you're only giving opinions here. You're not proving anything. And he said also to modify those he judges to require modification. He is not saying, I have a wholesale right to get rid of the traditional Latin Mass. That's simply not what he's saying at all. Okay, but remember, Paul VI wasn't claiming to be getting rid of the entire Roman Rite either. He claimed to be merely introducing revisions to the Rite, albeit considerable ones. So that would be in line with Pius XII's teaching that the Roman pontiff can modify rites he judges to require modification. In reality, you can say, yes, Paul VI did introduce a new rite. But my point is that that's not what was said officially. If you look at the Vatican's documents, they always speak about the reform of the Roman Rite, not about the creation of a new Rite. And he goes on in the very next paragraph, actually, he says, the church is without question a living organism. She grows, matures, develops, adapts, and accommodates herself to temporal needs and circumstances, 
provided only that the integrity of her doctrine be safeguarded. And as we know from the Ottaviani intervention, the brief critical study of the mass, of the new mass rather, that's precisely what's at stake here is the integrity of her doctrine in the new liturgical rite. Exactly. Now, of course, a true pope could never crank out such impious junk as the Novus Ordo rite of mass. We're in agreement on that. But the point is that the only possible explanation for why Paul VI was nonetheless able to promulgate this evil rite is that he wasn't a true pope. That is crucial. The idea that the Roman pontiff could promulgate to the universal church a rite of mass that attacks or undermines Catholic dogma or doctrine is absurd. So it's impossible that Paul VI was a true pope. And in fact, Taylor Marshall now throws that objection at Gaspers for the sake of argument and asks if that doesn't mean that we need to be Sedevacantists now. But unfortunately, Marshall doesn't quite phrase the question correctly. He doesn't ask how it would be possible for a true pope to produce a heretical, bad, evil, sacrilegious, harmful rite of mass. I would love to hear Gasper's response to that. Instead, he asks him how a true pope could abolish the ancient Roman mass and reset it, and Gaspers conveniently answers that, well, he didn't really do that. Take a listen. It's very important to understand um, that as Benedict XVI finally acknowledged in the year 2007, that the 1962 Missal, in his words, quote, was never juridically abrogated and consequently in principle was always permitted. So even if it even if it was Paul VI will that all of us get on board with the Novus Ordo and leave the traditional mass behind, he technically never abrogated it. That's simply a historical fact. Which is awesome. Which means if you yes. were a priest in 1974 and you're like, I don't want to do the Novus Ordo, I'm using the old one. Technically, he was right. The old mass was not abrogated. Correct. Wrong. I'm sorry, but that's actually not correct. Now, it is true, of course, that Benedict XVI said that the 1962 Missal was never abrogated, meaning that Paul VI never actually abolished it. But that was a lie. And that's quite easy to prove, actually, simply by looking at what Paul VI actually wrote. In his so-called Apostolic Constitution, Missale Romanum of April 3rd, 1969, Paul VI notes in various places that what he's publishing is a revision of the Missal of St. Pius V, an adaptation, not a new separate rite of Mass that can be used as an alternative, but rather a recomposed Roman Missal. Then he outlines some of the changes and ends by saying these solemn words, quote, We order that the prescriptions of this Constitution go into effect November 30th of this year, the first Sunday of Advent. We wish that these our decrees and prescriptions 
may be firm and effective now and in the future, notwithstanding, to the extent necessary, the apostolic constitutions and ordinances issued by our predecessors and other prescriptions, even those deserving particular mention and derogation. Unquote. That is a formula for abrogation. The canonist Archbishop Amleto Sicognani states very clearly in his 1935 book on the Code of Canon Law that the Pope doesn't have to say, we hereby abrogate. Okay? He can say that, of course, but a more typical way for a law to be revoked by the legislator is by him, quote, inserting abrogatory or derogatory clauses, as is common in decrees, rescripts, and other pontifical acts, such as notwithstanding anything to the contrary, notwithstanding in any respect anything to the contrary, though worthy of special mention, unquote. That's from page 629, and I've got this linked in the show notes. So, this means that Paul VI was making it abundantly clear that what he had just decreed concerning the Roman Missal superseded anything and everything that had come before it. In other words, if Paul VI was a true pope, then the Roman rite, as found in Pope Pius V's Quo Primum, which we typically call the traditional Latin Mass, is history as it has been authoritatively revised in such a way that it is now what we typically call the New Mass, or the Novus Ordo Mass. If Paul VI was a true pope, that's what you would have to conclude. The rite as it was prior to the Novus Ordo revisions, basically the 1962 Missal, was no longer permitted, which, by the way, is the reason why priests who still wanted to use it, needed an indult to do so. An indult is a special permission granted by the lawgiver for something that would not otherwise be permitted. Archbishop Sicognani defines indult as, quote, faculties and favors which the legislator benevolently grants for a time, either outside the law or contrary to the same. Unquote. It's on page 477. An indult for the traditional Mass was needed between 1969 and 2007 because the traditional Mass had been forbidden. It had been abolished by the modernist Vatican. Such are the historical facts. Benedict XVI's claim, then, that the traditional Latin Mass wasn't really abolished by Paul VI was a lie. It's simply not true. But it was a lie that worked in the Semitrad's favor, and perhaps that is the reason why they never noticed or simply didn't care that it was historically false. Okay, now let's return to Matt Gaspers. Maybe I was a little too quick in my refutation here because listen to what else he says about the traditional mass never having been repealed. And and it wasn't because it can't be. I mean, that's the point. And that's the point that Benedict made in his 
I'm re that quote I just read is from his letter to bishops in reference to Samorum Pontificum, the attachment to it, you might say. He goes on in that same letter, what earlier generations held as sacred remains sacred and great for us too. And it cannot be all of a sudden entirely forbidden or even considered harmful. Ah, see, it wasn't abolished because it cannot be. In other words, who cares what Paul VI actually said or decreed? If we decide he cannot do it, then it means nothing. So, I guess a Catholic can't go by the words of the Pope, even legislation in an apostolic constitution. Rather, he first needs to check with his favorite semi-trad pseudo-authority to see if it's any good. But then it gets really messy if the semi-trad pundits disagree with one another. Imagine if Athanasius Schneider says one thing and Carlo Maria Vigano says the opposite. Then what? Well, see, a Catholic would say that you simply turn to the Pope, and that's the end of it. But then that doesn't work for the recognize and resist people, since they've already decided that the Pope is not the final authority, at least not when they disagree with him. It's a madhouse. Now, I love how Benedict XVI is always quoted as saying that what was sacred for the prior generations is still sacred for us today. Well, that's very nice to say, but with regard to the liturgical revolution after Vatican II, it simply is a lie. He's whitewashing the liturgical crimes after the council. That's all this is. And when I say liturgical crimes, I don't even mean any abuses that were taking place. I'm just talking about the official legislation coming from the Vatican. All right, let's go back to Matt Gaspers and Taylor Marshall. Gaspers is still quoting Benedict XVI. It behooves all of us to preserve the riches which have developed in the church's faith and prayer and to give them their proper place. That is the traditional Catholic understanding of liturgy right there. Right. And that might be one of the most important legacies of Pope Benedict XVI, to say what earlier generations yes. held as sacred remains sacred and great for us too, and it cannot be right. all of a sudden entirely forbidden or even considered harmful. And there's, there's apologists out there who say that the traditional Latin Mass that is harmful it's considered harmful. It's bad. It's leading people into schism. It's right. And it's and being it's not, weaponized. It's being blah, weaponized. Blah, blah, blah. And Benedict says no. It cannot mm -hmm. be considered harmful. And it behooves all of us to preserve the riches which have developed in the church's faith and prayer. Well, but the traditional mass is harmful to the new religion of Vatican II. That's why it had to go. And that is why Francis is fighting it so much. See, at first the idea was that the new Mass would simply replace the traditional Mass more or less overnight. And that will be that. But then with all the stress being caused by the followers of Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, right, the Society of St. Pius X, John Paul II decided it might be a good idea to still let people have the traditional Mass, 
if that prevents them from attaching themselves to Lefebvre. And so in 1984, he allowed a limited indult for the traditional mass. And then four years later in 88, after Lefebvre went into schism, John Paul stepped it up and made the indult much more generous. But the idea was always to keep people from leaving the new church, from abandoning the Vatican II religion. In fact, the indult was never given for theological reasons, as if the Vatican ever conceded that the new Mass was deficient theologically. It was always given only for pastoral reasons having to do with nostalgia and an emotional attachment to the traditional liturgy or some spiritual need. It was always on the basis of the subjective preference or needs of a few traditionalists, whom John Paul II and later Benedict XVI didn't want to defect to the Lefebvreists. With some more pontificum in 2007 then, Benedict XVI introduced this nonsense of the one Roman rite having an ordinary and an extraordinary form, which was another lie, of course, but it too helped the Semitrads so they didn't mind too much. But it too was done to try to keep traditionalists from leaving the Vatican II Church. The idea was always to eventually lead the traditionalists into the new religion and the new worship, perhaps with a little more incense and a little more Latin, a little more reverence. But this idea of a restoration of the church back to pre-Vatican II times was always out of the question for both Benedict and John Paul. And so, 14 years after Samorum Pontificum, the false Pope Francis, Jorge Bergoglio, saw the need to act. See, he noticed that a great number of these traditionalists in his church are not merely attached to the traditional Mass for reasons of nostalgia or personal preference, but for theological, doctrinal reasons. They have no interest in eventually coming around on Vatican II and the new orientation with ecumenism in a religious dialogue and all that stuff. And in fact, they have been telling themselves that there will eventually be a glorious restoration of tradition and all the Vatican II junk will one day be rescinded. That's because they were reading The Remnant and Catholic Family News and Christopher Ferrara and Peter Kwasniewski. And that's why Francis has now said, enough, enough already. If you guys aren't going to get with the Vatican II program here, you're done. I'm taking away your traditional mass. Instead of bringing those who've been dragging their feet gradually around to the new religion, it actually accomplished the opposite. It's made people think that it was just the first step in turning everything back around to how it was before the council. And from his perspective, from Bergoglio's perspective, his reaction makes perfect sense. Why continue to put out a decoy 
if you're finding out that not only is it not having its intended effect, it's actually making the problem worse. So, of course he's going to put a damper on this. It was the traditionalists, the recognize and resist trads, who, because of bad theology and an unreasonable a priori rejection of Sedevacantism, had convinced themselves that they could get the post-Catholic Vatican to change course, and that Benedict XVI's concession of the traditional Mass was only the first of many victories in that great battle for the restoration of tradition. They thought they could fight from within, as the saying goes, as if it were possible to turn an apostate institution into the Catholic Church. So, any traditionalist who believes Francis is the Pope and is surprised at his suppression of the traditional Mass has not understood what is really going on. The Vatican hierarchs have no intention of returning to Catholicism. The traditional Mass was only given as a temporary concession for a group of people they didn't want to lose entirely. They figured that if they could attach people to the new religion by giving them the externals of the traditional liturgy, then that was a price worth paying. They figured that eventually the people who liked the old Mass would die out, and then this would no longer be an issue. But the strategy backfired, and now they're adjusting course. Therefore, as evil as Francis' hatred of the traditional Mass is, it is not surprising. It is only surprising if you think he is a Catholic and the Pope of the Catholic Church, trying to lead souls to eternal happiness through faith, hope, and charity. Back to Taylor Marshall and Matt Gaspers. That right there might be the most important legacy of Pope Benedict XVI because if Francis does try to cancel and delete the traditional Latin Mass, all we have to do is show that quote. Oh, really? You're going to defeat Francis by showing a quote, huh? What's that going to do? If you can dismiss Francis by quoting Benedict XVI, then by the same token, you can dismiss St. Pius V by quoting Benedict XVI. Or you could dismiss Pius V by quoting Paul VI, and so on. All popes have the same authority. If Francis is the pope, what he decrees and legislates is what matters. As Pope Leo XIII said, those who, faced with two differing directives, reject the present one to hold to the past are not giving proof of obedience to the authority which has the right and duty to guide them. That's from the apostolic letter Epistola Tua. Next, Gaspers quotes from Francis's letter Desiderio Desideravi of June 29, 2022 on liturgical formation. Paragraph 31. Listen closely. Quote, it would be trivial to read the tensions unfortunately present around the celebration as a simple divergence between different tastes concerning a particular ritual form. The problematic, Francis says, 
is primarily ecclesiological. That is huge because what he is saying is that the tensions which exist between Catholics who embrace the liturgical form and those who resist it are based not on what he calls different tastes, but on divergent ecclesiologies. That is on fundamentally different doctrinal positions about the church's very nature. So when he's trying to get rid of the traditional mass, what he's really trying to do is get rid of the church's traditional ecclesiology. That's what we have to understand. Bingo. And that is exactly what I was talking about earlier. It's about Vatican II, about doctrine, not about liturgical preference per se. The traditional mass teaches Catholicism and therefore a Catholic ecclesiology. The new mass teaches a different religion, a different idea of church. And that is further evidence that the new mass could not have come from a true pope, but that is a conclusion Gaspers resists with every fiber of his being. He just does not want to go there. Instead, he creates this new doctrine according to which popes can legislate all sorts of impious and heretical liturgical nonsense, and then those Catholics who are really enlightened and really faithful understand that they have the right and duty to reject it, ultimately even to the point of schism and excommunication, which of course they then get to overrule as well, so to speak, by telling everyone that that's not valid or binding either. It is insane. Now, listen to this from Taylor Marshall. And you can't have sodomy and same-sex blessings and abortion is not always that bad if you just follow your conscience and contraception and all this nonsense, women's ordination. You can't have all that in the old, real Catholic church. So you have to recreate and ape it with something new. Did you get that? He just referred to the old, real Catholic church, which implies that he admits deep down that the current thing isn't the old, real Catholic Church. To hold that Francis is nonetheless the real Pope makes a complete mess of everything. And so it's ironic that Taylor Marshall should complain about a false ecclesiology, while at the same time pushing the idea that Francis can be a true Pope leading a false church. All right, next, Gaspers once more recycles two famous quotes, which actually have nothing to do with the topic under discussion. Let's start with the first one from St. Thomas Aquinas. So yeah, this now we're going to try and transition into what should our response be as Catholics if the Pope tries to cancel the traditional Latin Mass, even though, objectively speaking, he, the papal, he doesn't have the authority to do that. But what if he tries to do that? Okay. Um, first, we'll go with St. Thomas Aquinas about fraternal correction. This is in the part of the Summa that deals with fraternal correction. And St. Thomas says, if the faith were endangered, and indeed it is with these radical changes and trying to get rid of the received and approved Roman rite, if the faith were endangered, a subject ought to rebuke 
rebuke his prelate even publicly. Hence Paul, who was Peter's subject, rebuked him in public on account of the imminent danger of scandal concerning faith. And as the gloss of Augustine says on Galatians 2.11, this is Augustine speaking, Peter gave an example to superiors that if at any time they should happen to stray from the straight path, they should not disdain to be reproved by their subjects, end quote. So that's Thomas Aquinas in the Summa. Yes. And uh, people are going to say, well, you know, you, you can rebuke your prelate publicly, but I mean, that's just like your bishop. No, the example that Thomas uses is Paul rebuking Peter. Peter was the pope. Mm-hmm. So the quote yep. here, Thomas Aquinas is not just talking about rebuking your priest, your pastor, a deacon, your local bishop. The example he gives is rebuking Peter, the Pope. That's right. All right. So it is certainly true that any Catholic, even the Pope himself, can be rebuked by an inferior if he sins, especially if it's public and he scandalizes the faithful. That is a matter of fraternal correction. Since even the Pope is a sinner, even the Pope can be fraternally corrected. So if the Pope tells you to rob a bank and use the money to build a church, you must refuse, first of all, and you should also rebuke him for telling you that. That's fraternal correction, and that is what St. Thomas is talking about. That's also what St. Paul did With regard to St. Peter in Galatians 2, St. Paul thought that St. Peter's decision to eat with the Jewish converts separately, apart from the Gentile converts, out of human respect, was scandalizing the Gentiles, and so he reproved him for his imprudence. That's all that was. St. Peter didn't issue some decree establishing a law for the whole church, nor did he teach anything. He simply acted imprudently. St. Augustine held that St. Peter's was merely a venial fault of imprudence. And you can look that up in the traditional Catholic Hadock Bible in the commentary on Galatians 2.11. Cardinal Baronius thought that St. Peter didn't sin at all. Next, Gaspers quotes St. Robert Bellarmine from his work On the Roman Pontiff, Book 2, Chapter 29. Just as it would be lawful to resist a pontiff invading a body, so in other words, threatening physical harm, so it is lawful to resist him invading souls or disturbing a state, and much more if he should endeavor to destroy the church. And I would say that trying to destroy the Roman rite of the traditional Roman rite is an attack on the church herself, definitely. So Robert Bellarmine goes on to say, I say it is lawful to resist him by not doing what he commands and by blocking him, lest he should carry out his will. Still, Bellarmine says, it is not lawful to judge or punish or even depose him because he is nothing other than a superior. So this is really where we get the idea of recognizing the Pope is the Pope while also resisting illegitimate commands and decrees, etc. Yeah, well, it's unfortunate that they never quote this passage from the same book by St. Robert Bellarmine. Quote, the Pope is the teacher and shepherd of the whole church. Thus, the whole church is so bound to hear and follow him 
that if he would err, the whole church would err. Now, our adversaries respond that the church ought to hear him so long as he teaches correctly, for God must be heard more than men. On the other hand, who will judge whether the Pope has taught rightly or not? For it is not for the sheep to judge whether the shepherd wanders off, not even and especially in those matters which are truly doubtful. Nor do Christian sheep have any greater judge or teacher to whom they might have recourse. As we showed above, from the whole church one can appeal to the Pope, yet from him no one is able to appeal. Therefore, necessarily, the whole church will err if the pontiff would err. Unquote. That is from St. Robert Bellarmine's book on the Roman pontiff, book 4, chapter 3. And it's easy to see that this is very applicable to the issue we're actually talking about, which is the Pope teaching or legislating in his official capacity. In any case, what do we make of the Bellarmine quote cited by Gaspers? Well, the late Father Anthony Ciccata once explained what that quote is actually talking about. We got it linked in the show notes. So you can look it up, but let me just quote Father Jakarta's summary. Quote, Number one, Bellarmine is talking about a morally evil pope who gives morally evil commands, not one who, like the post-Vatican II popes, teaches doctrinal error or imposes evil laws. Number two, the context of the statement is a debate over the errors of Gallicanism, not the case of a heretical pope. Number three, Bellarmine is justifying resistance by kings and prelates, not by individual Catholics. Number four, Bellarmine teaches in the next chapter of his work, chapter 30, that a heretical pope automatically loses his authority. In a word, the passage can neither be applied to the present crisis nor invoked against Sedevacantism. But, hey, the Semitrats have been using that quote for decades, and although Father Chicada wrote this almost 20 years ago, in 2004, no one has ever, to my knowledge, interacted with it or attempted to answer it. All right, Gaspers then wraps it up with a recommendation of two books by Peter Kwasniewski, one of them about true obedience. Let me just say here that Dr. Kwasniewski is on record accusing Pope St. Pius X of, no joke, liturgical modernism. Oh, you think I'm kidding? Not at all. Look it up yourself. He wrote that in an article posted at newliturgicalmovement.org on February 4th, 2019. The piece is entitled, The Need for Mutual Humility and Support Between the SSPX and the FSSP. So, that man is informing the semi-trads on proper submission to the Pope. Okay, then. 
No, I'm not going to spend any time now on Peter Kwasniewski. At NovosOrdoWatch.org, there is plenty of material refuting the man. And, uh, you know, just recently he called some of St. Pius X's papal allocutions a historical embarrassment. You know, if we had a true pope, some of what this man has written would be on the index of forbidden books. But he's very popular among the semi-trads because he gives them academic justifications for their position. But academic is one thing and Catholic is another. All right, thus far, our critical review of Taylor Marshall's and Matt Gasper's video, Can Pope Francis Ban the Latin Mass? As you can see, what may at first sight look like a really convincing presentation falls apart rather quickly once you actually examine what they say critically. Marshall and Gaspers spoke for about an hour in total, but at no point did they offer clear, irrefutable evidence that the Pope absolutely cannot abolish the ancient Roman rite of Mass and replace it with a new one that is also orthodox and holy. What they did is offer certain quotes that can be interpreted in that way, but they have not shown that it is the correct or the only possible interpretation. And even if they could do that, still, that would only establish that the Pope will never do such a thing precisely because he cannot. It would not mean, as Gaspers and Marshall would have you believe, that the Pope can issue such a legislation, but it remains without any effect, and everyone else in the Church then has the right and obligation to ignore or resist it because of something St. Robert said over here or St. Thomas said over there. That is a pipe dream of the Semi-Trads, and neither Gaspers nor Marshall have given any evidence that per Catholic doctrine such a scenario is even possible. At best, Marshall and Gaspers simply gave us their own private and non-authoritative opinions about things. But against those opinions, there stands the official and authoritative legislation of the person they claim is definitely the Vicar of Christ. Tratcast Express is a production of Novos Ordo Watch. Check us out at tratcast.org, and if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novosordowatch.org slash donate. Thank <laughs> you.